Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. Today in the studio. Hi, I'm Howard Michael Gould. I'm the author of Last Looks. And I'm John Michael Higgins. I'm the reader of Last Looks, not just privately, but also in public. I read it out <laughs> loud, which you should listen to because it's a beautifully done mystery, intricately plotted with hilarious dialogue and really sharp characters. The main character in particular, Charlie Waldo, is uh, one of the most interesting and compelling detectives that has come along in quite a long time. He has a minimalist problem. I'll leave it at that. I think you'll have to check the book out to see why. But your book, Howard, was fantastic. Well, thank you for doing it. I've, I've heard at this point about a chapter and a tenth and it's terrific. Oh, really? Just yes. through the door or something? Through the, yeah, the tenth was through the door. We wouldn't let you in. No. We were scared I, you were going to beat us up. I hid in the back for chapter three, <laughs> so that's the one I can speak about with some intelligence. First of all, actually, caveat, Howard and I are old friends, and I mean that in every way. We're both old and friends, and we're old friends. And I want to hear what happened. Why did you write this? You you were not the book writer to begin with. I wasn't. I'm the accidental mystery novelist <laughs> because I was not a mystery guy nor a novelist at all. As you know, for the last 30 years, I've been a TV and screen writer and producer and director, mostly in comedies of one stripe or another, sitcoms and TV, and then comedy dramas and script doctoring and movies. And I guess about eight or nine years ago, as sort of a one-off, a minor cable network hired me to write sort of a light hour, like a Rockford Files-ish, single mom PI driving around in her minivan solving mysteries pilot. And it didn't go anywhere, partly, I think, because it was kind of low concept, but I enjoyed it. And I thought I could probably do this. And so I was sort of keeping my mind open to finding something a little higher concept. And right around that time, shortly after, my daughter Amanda showed me this internet video called The Story of Stuff. Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. You actually told me about that years ago, and I did look at it. It was fascinating. Yeah. It's this video. It's a sort of rudimentary animation, and it's about the way we're depleting the planet in service of planned consumerism yeah. and how uh, not only is it destroying the earth, but it's making us unhappy. And right. It's sort of exactly. an ever-accelerating vicious cycle. And it really got under my skin, and we were going through family things sort of figuring out, you know, what we were doing. Our kids were heading off to college and we were in a house that was too big for us. And we just had too many things also. So, mm -hmm. and I sort of aggressively, not obsessively, but aggressively got rid of about half of my own stuff. Terry, my wife, had a harder time parting with things. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was an interesting challenge and it got me thinking, what about somebody who was more obsessive about it? And could that be a private eye? And could I work up a pitch around that? And then you go into all the sort of left brain questions like, okay, how did he get like that? And how is he living? And what turned him into that? And what was his life like? And I did a little research and came to the hundred things. And when you find that, you know, you've just found the gift that'll keep sure. on Sure. And boy, does it keep on giving in this book. I mean, it's so delicious for a main character protagonist who's a detective and, you know, who gets into fisticuffs and finds clues and all that stuff, who can't drive because he's against it. He has to take public transportation or self-propelled transportation. He can't have any more than a hundred things. So if he gains one on the fly, he's got to lose one 
as exhaust. And it's a lot better than the mother in the minivan, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought it would be. So I thought, well, maybe I'll be able to sell that. And I actually developed it as the Waldo and Lorena TV show. So sort of a romantic comedy between Uh this obsessive minimalist and this shameless maximalist. Maximalist, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And it was a great pitch. And we went to a couple of networks and they applauded at the end of the pitch. This has never happened in my career. You just want them to be paying attention and not look like they're wondering what's for lunch. Yeah, not and hurt they, you. Yes. And then they passed Absolutely. because they told us a few days later when they passed, we do cops here, not private eyes. Oh, well, there you go. It's a very good reason to pass. So, Michael, I'm so glad that you did this. And I really wanted you to do this, not only because we sort of work together whenever we can figure out a chance. Absolutely. But so many more people are listening to audiobooks now, and it was important to me that it was going to be great. And even though you had not done a lot of this, you sort of have a perfect toolbox for it, I think. You're as voracious a reader as I know. And you're sort of the smartest reader of lines and have always had a good way of making your way through my difficult lines. Never difficult, never difficult. Well, that's not what the other actors sometimes have said. (laughs) Oh, them. (laughs) There are no other actors, Howard. (laughs) Well, that's very nice to hear. But I, of course, I jumped at it immediately, mostly because it's you and your stuff is great. Always has been. We've worked together many times. And I have to say some of the best moments of my career are in your plays, doing some of those characters, some of those lines. And reading Last Looks was no exception. It was a great uh, piece of writing for an actor, particularly, to deal with. I know you love actors, and you put a big one right in the middle of this book. Yes. And um, very interesting main character with lots and lots of restrictions, which actually is freeing for an actor. The more restrictions you give him, the more clever he gets in communicating. And that's what happens to the protagonist in this book. The more restrictions put on him, the cleverer he gets, in a way. And then what you do is you give me a page where I can just open up and be Peter O'Toole and do whatever that is, you know. So there's a sort of a a rhythm of constriction and release in the acting and in the rhythms of it that is so you, first of all. But it's also challenging for me and a lot of fun for me. It really, it does fill the sails, you know, as they say. And and also it's a very big meal for an actor because you have lots of characters. There's everything from little girls to drug dealers to cops to beautiful sirens and, you know, old Jewish couple, uh, you know, it just goes and on. You don't and on. get to do that all the time. I get no. to do that all the time. That's that is the one fun thing as a writer is you get to be everybody. Yes, yes. And but you don't generally. No, no. It's particularly after a while in the career as an actor, you know, you are ghettoed into one area, you know, and you're not allowed to leave that neighborhood after a while because you're not a safe hire anywhere else. Right. You know, so no other neighborhoods are safe for the buyer, but here. It's not that I'm being asked to do it. I'm, I'm being made to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's really a challenge. I love it. It's great. So I've only heard one chapter, but 
there were the three would-be gangbangers oh, yes. who come driving up in their Prius. The Palisades posse. Yeah. Right. And it was great listening because you had three different voices for them. I'm sure that was one of the tougher things that I it was threw at you, not <laughs> expecting to be throwing it at anyone, let alone you, when I wrote it. I looked at it and I thought, how am I going to do this? It's like, oh, it's like three white teenagers who need to be imitating black superstars and they can't be good at it. And there have to be three different ones. And it's a huge challenge. It was fantastic. And you totally rose to it. And there was one moment in there where I went, oh, yeah, this is why Michael would be perfect. There's that line in there where Waldo's thinking about them in his head. He talks about them cruising to mix it up with some Brentwood boys or something like that. And it's boys with a Z. And that was just one of the little pieces that I heard. But that Z, you know, you wouldn't be able to hear it. But with you doing it, I heard the Z. That's you know, great. He, I mean, it's he, tricky, those things. Uh, when you're reading, there it is on the page, a Z, but the audience may not hear the Z or, you know, you do a wonderful thing in this book. It's not a spoiler alert or anything, but there's a whole paragraph, so funny, about how divorced parents have to use these clever ampersands and semicolons <laughs> and the word and in order to describe what they are as a parent. It's this parent divorced and or, this parent yeah, plus remarried. these two parents and, the, you know, and... When we were doing it, me and the director, Tony Hutz, we were sort of <laughs> looking at it a little cockeyed, like, how exactly is this going to work best? We tried it a few different ways, and Tony and I basically figured that saying ampersand out loud, a beautiful word, incidentally, was going to work, and we think it works well. But again, I'm that's, I mean, that's hilarious on the page, that's... but <laughs> saying it out loud is very tricky to get the joke to fire, but yeah, it really, I can't wait it to really hear that. Work. Yeah, it's funny. So do you listen to many audiobooks? I actually do. My to-do list for reading is so stupidly large that I have to sort of farm out some of it. <laughs> Someone else <laughs> has to do the reading. So <laughs> I always have one going into the car. And I've been doing this for many years, all the way back to the time when, you know, if you wanted to read Joseph Conrad novel in your car, you had to bring a suitcase with you because there were you know, 35 cassette tapes and only half of them kind of worked and all that. But there were also great readers I still think about and I attach them to those great books like George Goodell and my buddy Robert Petkoff and Jeff Woodman. They've done hundreds of books and they're great to listen to. And I've always thought about, oh gosh, I'd like to do that myself. But it's a tough gig, you know. It's a lot of hours it's uh, exhausting in a, in a way. You kind of get snowblind after a while. I'm not sure how they do that. I listened to recently the entire Robert Caro, Lyndon Johnson, all four of those <laughs> books. They're doorstop. Each one of them is a doorstop. Grover wow. Gardner did them. I knew Grover Gardner in D.C. He was a D.C. actor when I was a D.C. actor. He did an incredible performance in Harvey, I remember. He was the James Stewart part in Harvey. Fantastic actor. And he did... The entirety of the Robert Carroll, Lyndon Johnson, the four books. And it's just a feat in its way, uh, particularly now that I've done yours, I see what goes into it. Although I was nervous during yours, mostly because I know you. And one way that helped me, because a lot of the prose, I can hear those thoughts coming out of you. I know you. So I know what drives thoughts like the ones that are in the book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though I don't think of you as a mystery person, like you said at the beginning. It's interesting. Actually, I want to ask you about that. Like... You're not used to making intricate plots that work like Rube Goldberg contraptions. And how did that suit you? 
it's hard for me. I mean, it may be easy for some other people, but when I sat down to write this as a movie, I was actually hired to do it. I think if I wasn't paid a little something before I started, I would have quit <laughs> because I was really bit off more than it looked like I could chew, but finally did because I was trying to do three things at once. I wanted to come up with that sort of dense Chandler-esque two cases that were sort of interlocking, yeah. which was really hard, plus give him a real character arc. He goes from being a hermit to not a hermit. That's not how those usually work, no, right? No, no, no. Philip Marlowe, uh, Sam guy. Spade, yeah. Say, yeah, they go from jaded to a little more jaded, basically, <laughs> it's right. the arc. And it was part of the mandate, make it funny. So I just did all of that work to build it as a drama and then scene by scene would go, okay, three guys are going to come to his house and rough him up to stay off the case. You've seen that scene 50 times. But, you know, what's the English I can put on that to make that a little funny? He needs to get a gun. How am I going to make that a little funny? You know, and so on. That's ingenious. And, you know, you when you read these things, there's a great moment in Mysteries, which you do so well in this one, that I always liked. The detective, you know, marks the place of the reader. He's the reader's bookmark in the story. You know as much as he knows right. at all times. Right. And you don't know more and you don't know less. But then there is a moment when you do know less, you know. Yeah. And, suddenly, <laughs> and you feel like you're cheating, by yes. the way, when you're there. Well, I feel like well as the writer, you yes. think you're cheating. Yes. Yeah, because it's a point of view problem. But it's essential to a mystery and it happens in almost every one of them. I don't know who invented it, you know, Dickens or, I don't know, Agatha Christie or somebody. But it's the moment when the detective goes, I think I've got it. And then for the denouement, for the next 20 pages, he slowly lets you see what he got. And I always feel in a book, you know, that he's just jumped onto a trolley car and sped away while I'm sort of running after him. Yeah. And actually you do it twice in this book for both of the plots that you mentioned. Right. And that you did it twice is sort of a standing backflip, I think. But I was thinking in the audiobook, does that read? In other words, does the listener think I've pulled out ahead of him? As the reader, you know what I mean? As the performer. It's interesting. It was just a, it's a great moment and you do it so well in the book. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.